Hi listeners, welcome to Wholesome Kids Happy Living, a podcast aimed at inspiring a generation of happy and healthy kids, physically, emotionally and socially. Hi listeners, we're back after a big break of navigating all the changes as a result of COVID-19, along with the four-month sleep regression, Lenny welcoming her first two teeth and me preparing myself to return to work next month. With all that's been happening in the world, many people have taken the opportunity to slow down and prioritise their health, including exercising more and fueling their bodies with nourishing food. I've seen friends and family spend more time in the kitchen, cooking favourite foods and sitting down to share meals with their loved ones. With this, it is great timing to feature our guest today, Sarah Thomas. Sarah is someone who aligns so well with my values around cooking, health, family, sustainability and showing compassion to those less fortunate. And she has done this through creating a children's book series, Kalamata's Kitchen, a food adventure brand for kids and families. Through her work, Sarah has taught us to get back to basics in the kitchen, encouraging curiosity and exploration with food so that mealtimes can be an exciting shared experience for families that leave them with lifelong memories. A very warm welcome to Sarah joining us all the way from New York City. Thank you very much. So as we were just discussing before, Sarah, you're our first international guest on the podcast and I'm so excited to have you on board. Uh, Having read a lot of what you've done so far, um, as I'd said in the intro, it aligns very much with what I believe in and what I hope to promote through our podcast to listeners out there. Before we jump into what you, all the great work you've been doing, I thought we'd give a little bit of a backstory um, to our listeners as to you know, where you've come from, uh, what your experiences have been through childhood and some of the things that you've studied and where you are now, what you're doing now. Sure. Uh, thanks again for having me. I'm honored. I'm honored to be your first international guest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Um, my, I was born and raised there. Um, my parents are both South Indian immigrants, though. Um, and so, you know, while I was sort of in a more secluded part of the country, um, not a particularly diverse part of the country, my family maintained a lot of our cultural ties to India. Um, I grew up uh, just surrounded by the smells and, and sights and sounds of cooking. Um, cooking and food is so central to, to my family and, and to my culture. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I remember really very early on experiencing the world through the lens of food, um, whether that was, you know, whether I was sitting in the kitchen and just listening to things, like letting the anticipation build around what I was going to get to be eating. It was, those memories are, the smells and the sounds are very, very formative for me. And, and I feel like they're just building blocks in my life. Um, you know, that, that love of food really just carried me through. Um, you know, I studied a couple different things. I have a, a background in English Renaissance literature. Um, I also mm. studied, uh, yeah, very useful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I also uh, briefly uh, contemplated going back to school for medicine and I had this sort of shared, I just really loved studying to be completely honest with you. Yeah. Um, and at the heart of it all, I still had this love of food and sharing, and I found myself working in the restaurant industry. Um, Mm -hmm. and I ended up working in restaurants, um, which really became sort of a nexus of all the things I loved, um, which was service and storytelling, um, interacting with people and obviously food and studying. I ended up working in the restaurant industry for over 10 years, um, uh, as a sommelier, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, most of that time was spent at uh, La Bernadette, a three star restaurant uh, here in New York City. Um, and then, you know, my, my business partner, Derek Wallace, uh, just over maybe close to two years ago now, sort of came to me with the idea for Kalamata's Kitchen. Mm. Um, you know, he basically had this brilliant 
idea of, of what if we could create a character um, that really that teaches kids about food and introduces them to the world. Um, if we had a character that did this, then the child would find these adventures and, and all of these things, um, an entry point that was familiar to them from their perspective. Uh, mm -hmm. And thus making um, the idea of trying new foods uh, their idea. Um, and so when it came to me that I, that idea, I was like, this is maybe the best thing I've ever heard. You're essentially offering me my dream job. I get to work with kids. I get to work with food. I get to tell stories. I get to do it in a way that's so intensely personal. Um, you know, I know that my childhood was very special. Um, mm. As I got older, I realized that not everybody grew up in a, a household that was so focused around food and family and, and connectivity. And so when Derek came to me with this idea, it really was just an opportunity to share a little bit of what made my life so special with an entire generation of, of kids and families that want to do the mm. same. And I think it's such an interesting concept because in today's day and age, we're so busy. And so I think we've lost to that shared mealtime experience. Um, I know that often me and my husband don't even eat together at the same time because one of us is tag teaming in and out to get our six month old ready for bed. And if she doesn't go down, I might be eating at nine o'clock and he's eating at six o'clock and then she's had food at a different time. Um, but even those with older kids, it's coming and going and doing different activities and this kid doesn't eat that and they eat this. And so mums are creating five different meals for people and then it just becomes a really stressful experience. Um, and it's become very complicated. And we talk about food now being in the health and fitness industry. It's, it's breaking it down into protein and carbs and fats and obsessing over how much of each that we're getting. And um, yeah, I when I think back to my childhood and it sounds like what you've done the same is that that was never what mealtimes were about. It was about sitting down and storytelling yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And I mean, I obviously completely understand the, the the trend, right? You know, people are more informed than ever. People want to want to feel confident in the decisions that they're making for themselves and their families. Um, you know, what people are consuming is, you know, because you are able to have this information to break it down to like the micro level. You, I, I understand. I think it is important, you know, to be able to to do that for your family. But um, but I do feel that, you know, there is a balancing act there um, mm -hmm. on, you know, making sure that when you're doing that and while you're doing that, making these great decisions for your family, you're not losing some of the romanticism and connectivity and, and mm. really quality time um, that is involved with food prep, but also obviously eating it. Mm. And do you have some particular fond memories um, from your childhood around, did you have a, a set dinner time in the week or was every single day just a really nice shared meal journey for you and your family? I mean, we, I just remember that food, whenever we were eating it and, and you know, for whatever meal, um, whether everybody was at the table or not, my dad was an emergency room doctor, so he had weird hours. He wasn't... Yeah. Like we, we tried to eat dinner together as often as possible, but he, he certainly wasn't there all the time. And we were also very active as we got, went through school. And, you know, I have two brothers and my mom is an absolute superhero and she'd cook, you know, uh, she'd cook a, a lot. She'd also be responsible for shuttling us all around. So we weren't, we weren't always eating together, mm. but there was always a sort of like, if you're sitting at the table, there's no other, there's nothing else there. Like I, I used to try and read at the table all the time and my mom would be like, absolutely not. <laughs> Um, and you know, you had to, you had to just be present. You had to be like, I, 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 at the time I didn't, I certainly couldn't have described it this way, but what I realized is that like the presence and being mindful of what you're consuming and not being distracted really does make you focus and appreciate, um, focus on and appreciate what's in front of you. Mm. Um, and you know, it, it certainly wasn't so conscious when I was a kid, I can look back and say these, but the fact that I did it, um, 
I, I think I just remember the enjoyment of eating so much. I remember textures. I remember flavors. I remember mm. smells. I mean, things that really stuck were so formative for me that they informed my career later as a sommelier, yeah. right? So, you know, it's, I, I just remember the act of, of eating regularly and eating really well and honestly just like thoroughly enjoying food. Yeah, and I, I think that's the interesting <laughs> that's the interesting part that your memories around food are the smells and the textures and the people and the experience um, as opposed to it just being, oh, well, I, I ate dinner or I had some lunch. Um, you're remembering oh. all these, you're, you're engaging all these other senses, um, which like you said at the time, you didn't realise, but when you look back on it, your mum has set you up for such a beautiful experience with food across your lifetime yeah and i mean it food is as you and i know as lovers of, of food <laughs> it has this like incredible ability to transport people right so i mean i think that some of my even the the events that are you know memory events that i remember i can all <laughs> i can remember them most clearly because they were probably around like a great barbecue or great, just a great regular meal at home or like specific people were at my house because of this dinner we were having. And, you know, it, it really, it has an ability to take you back so clearly because it's not just tied to just your remembrance of something. It's, it's, it's literally anchoring you in all of your senses in a place and a time. Um, and so mm. I, I think that transporting element is so important. Yeah. And it becomes less about the actual food that you're eating and more around what's happening at that moment, which I really yeah. like. And I it's definitely something that's lost. Yeah. 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 Um, and I even know myself in like, we'll often have the TV on or you'll be on your phone. You'll be trying to answer emails. Yeah. You'll be trying to do a hundred other things. But I know that one of my friends had said that she has two young boys and they're now at an age where they're engaging around meal times. And so her partner works away, but he's home um, on Sundays. And so they make pizza Sunday where they hand make the dough. They're all around the kitchen and it becomes okay. an experience. And I just, now that having read what you do and what you're about, I can just see that that experience, those boys are going to grow up one day and go, Hey, how good was that? When we just all got together on a Sunday and made homemade pizza. Oh, absolutely. They'll totally remember that. I mean, there's something just really lovely about having a routine and familiarity around that kind of thing too. Yeah, definitely. And with your business partner, how, where did that relationship come from? Where did, how did that come about? He was actually um, really good friends with my husband first and with my husband's father and uh, he, my business partner, his brother, my husband and my husband's father, they are became, they became very close. Um, mm-hmm. They used to travel around and, you know, they, they loved going to baseball games together and they loved going to different cities. And when I got to meet Derek, um, you know, we were still, my, my now husband and I were sustaining at the time. And I remember meeting Derek. Uh, he has, he's this incredibly passionate human being. Um, and he is, particularly passionate about things that I'm also passionate about, um, like food, like travel. We really bonded over, over those shared interests. Um, and then we became friends and he definitely became like my favorite of (laughs) (laughs) now everyone knows. Um, but, um, (laughs) no. And then, you know, and then a couple of years into our friendship, um, he, he had this idea and, um, he's, you know, he, he came up with a name, he came up with the concept, uh, like pretty much on the spot. And then he called me and it was literally the best phone call I think I've ever received because he, like I said, he was basically handling, handing me my dream job, the opportunity to create my dream job really. Um, and yeah, so, so that was easily one of the best phone calls of my life. Yeah. I can, <laughs> well, can imagine. Yeah. And that idea came about to him based on his experience with his children. Is that right? 
Exactly. So his son, um, uh, Henry, was uh, a two or three at the time, and he was watching an episode of Chef's Table, and he was just thinking about how food has inspired him in so many different ways. Um, he really mm. started to food and, and learning about food and its importance as an adult, and he was really looking for a way to share this, this love of his, um, this passion of his, with his child. And he thought, you know, there must be something out there that exists that connects um, from a child's perspective, connects food to children. Because why would, what interest would his young son have in watching Chef's Table? But, you mm -hmm. know, Eric knew that those lessons and, and what's behind that uh, was something that would be very valuable to him if he could learn it young. So he's mm -hmm. looking and looking, looking for this thing and realized that it doesn't exist. Um, and so then that's when he had the idea like, what if we created it? What if we create, we were the ones who were able to translate these kind of stories that are so meaningful to us as adults to children. We'd have to do it from their perspective. We'd have to do it. From, um, mm -hmm. And then he had the sort of light bulb of should be a little girl. Her name should be Kalamata. Then he called me and we got to work. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I love that it's just sparked and then has oh, yeah. created this massive thing from there. Um, and I love the name Kalamata. I think that's very clever. Very so cute, isn't it? <laughs> um, and so it started as a children's book series. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that looks like and um, how many books in a series and, and what the plans are for that? Absolutely. Um, so yes, we started it as a book series. We knew that anchoring it in, in, in Kamaz herself and in her adventures and through stories to children was going to be the most fun and organic way to sort of you know, impart the lessons that we wanted to impart, but you can't be too heavy handed around it, right? Kids can smell a lesson coming from a mile away. Yeah. So we knew that we anchored in stories in order to make this whole thing, pardon the pun, but palatable yeah. uh, for kids. And so um, we, you know, the idea basically in the books is that Kamada, in the first three books, is that um, Kamada uh, has all of these professional, we call her friends her taste buds, uh, and she has all these professional taste buds who are chefs and food personalities. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and then one of the chefs will come over to visit. Um, they'll often bring something that they want to share with Kalamata. Um, something's cooking in Kalamata's kitchen and the chef smells it. It reminds the chef of a memory um, in his or her life and uh, they together are sort of inspired to take this imagination, imaginative rump in Kalamata's mm. imagination to explore that, that scent memory and that food memory of the chef. Um, and, you know, on, on, on this journey, she is obviously accompanied as well by her, her uh, stuffed alligator pal, Al Dente, mm -hmm. very mischievous, mischievous little guy, always doing something silly in the background. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they, they sort of, they, they travel, they travel all around the world um, in, in, in their imaginations by the, powered by the stories of other people. Um, when she comes back, uh, out from under her table to sh uh, she's eager to share that that experience with uh, with her family as well which I love you know I love always closing the books with uh, a sort of directive of like Kalamata is going to go and share what she just did that was so exciting mm -hmm. and so fun and so moving and hopefully you know other kids will want to share their stories as well um so that's those those are the that's the sort of outline of the first three books um the third one featuring chef eric repair who was still quite yeah. my boss um and they take a very fun uh trip to provence that's amazing and i like how you talk a lot about curiosity so it's not a book that's going or oh, kalamata tried this food and then she tried this food so you should try it too it's about yeah creating a story around travel and using their imagination uh, and I guess developing all the senses that are involved with cooking and eating to create that curiosity within kids and then for them to take their imagination and develop something from that, which I quite like. It's not a well, Kalamata does this, so you should do this, which as you said, kids will smell that from a mile away and yes. go, 
<laughs> no, I'm not doing that. That's right. That's right. And you know, I, I always love saying that Kalamata is the author of her own adventures. And mm. the, the, really the key takeaway here is that we want other kids to feel inspired to take their own adventures, right? So, yeah. you know, one of our core tenets is that, as, as I think you, you said earlier also, is that like, it's not, it's less about the food itself. Um, it's about the act of trying. Um, mm. And Kalamata sees the act of trying just new things, whether that's food or a new activity or anything. Kalamata sees the act of trying something new as an adventure. Adventures are fun. Um, yeah. So therefore trying things is fun. And so yeah. it's a it's a it's a lesson, you know, quote unquote, that is sort of it's sort of slid into Kalamata's regular activities and what she does. Um, mm. They're obviously through the medium of food for for our purpose. And really the goal here is just to get kids excited about trying new things, about exactly as you said, to be curious, to be open minded, um, and you know, to to see that things aren't quite as scary as they might seem even if they are a little different yeah and I love this because in my psychology work one of the big things that I see with kids these days is that fear of failure because everything is out in the open now with social media um with the world the way it is kids have a fear of trying because they have a fear of failure so I like that you frame it in a context of an adventure so it is just about going out and having an experience and the outcome isn't what we're looking for it's about the journey along the way and I love that even more because that's what my dad stood for. He, we would go on these, it made me think of these ridiculous road trips that he used to take us on. And he'd say, we're going to the beach, um, pack an overnight bag. Um, and then 14 hours later, we'd be in the desert somewhere, um, having driven nowhere near the beach. And we would get to the destination, have a meal and then turn around and come back. And he would always say, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey along the way. Um, and so for me, that resonates so strongly because what you're saying is it's about where your imagination takes you what that journey is all about and then it doesn't really matter what the outcome is yeah I mean hopefully the outcome is that you've tried a tasty new food and now you love it but yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> and that and that sits with we did a podcast recently with an occupational therapist who works in a mealtime clinic and that was one of her big take-home messages is that food is an experience and it's about trying it's not about forcing and it's not about creating anxiety it's it's just about having a go. Um, so I think that you're capturing that beautifully. And again, in my psychology work, we use social stories all the time to help kids understand different and important life lessons like resilience and compassion and, and trying. So that's effectively what you've done, but um, in a way that's really accessible to all families and kids. So, yeah, I love that. But you do talk a lot about... Um, using Kalamata's kitchen to create compassion in kids and helping them to be more mindful consumers of food. Can you speak a little bit about what you mean when you talk about that? Certainly. Um, I mean, so, you know, to go back to what we were saying earlier, I do think that there is obviously a real drive for parents to be able to feed their kids healthy food. Um, you know, it's, it's very much at the forefront of things, but, uh, and, and often to a point of distraction. Um, I feel very strongly that when kids um, when kids are able to interact with food in a more sort of natural way that's that's about their senses about about like learning the history behind it learning about the people who prepared it for them learning about where mm -hmm. things come from um, fostering that curiosity I think leads to being more mindful I think when you're more mindful in general about you're more aware of what's going on you're more likely to make healthy decisions for yourself in the long run and so rather than you know sort of I, I we can never promise that 
Calamata's Kitchen will, you know, get your kid to eat broccoli or love mm -hmm. broccoli or anything. But we can offer it as a sort of tool of conversation, of being able to get to know the stories behind what, what you're eating in order for them to feel more like they're part of a process. I mm -hmm. also, you know, that goes into compassion directly, I think, because when you start to pay, pay more attention to the things that are around you, you naturally become more curious about people. Curiosity, I think, leads to empathy. Mm. Um, I think food is a medium that naturally drives that. Um, in our generation, we've often, I think most people in our generation have experienced it um, through, uh, say, Anthony, so, someone like Anthony Bourdain, right, mm. who traveled around the world, uh, you know, and essentially had a food show, right? But the, the show was not necessarily about the dishes themselves and he was almost never cooking the show mm. was really about connecting to the people behind the food learning mm. their stories learning about what life is like for them exposing sort of what is similar and what is different about everybody's daily lives and what we know is that everybody has to eat mm. um everybody has to feed their kids and everybody is looking for a way to do that in a healthy and mindful and hopefully fun and delicious way as well um this is really just an opportunity to be able to engage younger and younger with those ideas mm. Yeah, and that makes total sense now that you've put it in that context, that it is not necessarily about having those hard-hitting discussions around compassion and, and thinking about what we're grateful for, but you're naturally going to get kids being curious, you know, where did that come from and what do kids in this country eat or where does this dish come from and um, what do these flavours mean? And, uh, yeah, I think that what you're saying is you're through curiosity, you're getting kids asking more questions that relate to empathy and gratitude and being mindful. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and truly the more you start to learn about cultures that are different from your own, right. And mm. you start to learn about other people, the less sort of terrifying those things. Seem. And, you know, we always try and set up our chefs and other, the people that we talk to our professional taste buds, the ones that are sharing their stories with us um, to, you know, that then are translated to the kids. We, we set them up as heroes, right? We, mm. we say that these are, these are heroes in communities. They come from all different backgrounds from all over the world. And it's so important that, you know, we, we present all of these stories, the origin of these stories and the people behind them as, even if they're, it's from a culture different from your own, you, you start to see them as heroes as well. That's really important. You know, it's important for kids to see people that look and behave like them as heroes. Mm -hmm. It's equally important for them to see people who don't look and behave like them as heroes as well. And right. again, this is a medium that is just naturally allowing us to do that by just telling and sharing the stories of other people. Mm, I love that. And I think that it's so easy to buy and consume food now that it's often lost on kids where that's coming from. Um, yeah. Farming is a huge thing here in Australia. Obviously, we're a pretty isolated country in comparison to many other um, countries in the world. And so having to farm and produce and distribute our own is really important. Um, but we've also had many, many years of horrendous natural disaster type drought, which has made farming conditions really hard. Um, and it's only in, I think, last year or the year before, Fiverr for a Farmer came out where kids could wear a farmer's outfit to school and raise money and bring a $5 note to help support um, farmers who were struggling with drought. But prior to that, many of those kids, one, had no idea what drought was, and two, um, a lot of the kids growing up now just don't even understand where that produce is coming from, how it's farmed, how it's made. Um, and not only that, then where the waste goes after um, you finished 
with your meal. We have, we grow up in a generation now where we just throw things in a bin. So I think that you're creating that curiosity around where food comes from, where it goes, um, and having those conversations around gratitude with meal times because it is so easy to just buy something, have half of it, and then throw it out. Um, so I can see that while you have this concept around creating adventures, I can see it creating conversations with kids that um, reach far beyond that initial story and adventure, which I really like. Yeah, that's always the goal. I mean, it's, I don't know how aware of, you know, things like, like the supply chain I was when I was a kid, right? But Mm -hmm. I did, I grew up in a farming community, so I did have some I, at least I had some concept of where things came from. Um, I think that that was a point that was driven home pretty often by my family. Like we, we just talked about it all the time. Um, but yeah, having those conversations, I, I do think that that sets you up for a, a, a life of sort of more present, more mindful consumption of all things. Um, hmm. It's not necessarily that they're going to understand, you know, immediately they're not going to understand farming or, or recycling or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's not, but it, it's not exactly about that at, at this point, right? It's about hmm. just, having an awareness of it that leads to the sort of questions form themselves to be able to understand it later in life as they grow older, then make yeah, better decisions as a result of it. Um, and you've taken this book series, which, as I said, I absolutely love, love the idea, love the concept, um, and can really see how it will work with kids. But you've taken that one step further um, in seeing that kids learn through experience and they need hands-on learning. They need to do things in order to um, sometimes go on that adventure that you're trying to create. And so you've expanded the book series into the Taste Bud Travel Guide um, with live events and you've got celebrity ambassadors that have come on board. So um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how from the book series you've evolved to more hands-on personal experiences um, with Kalamata's Kitchen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we did start it as the book series, but we did always have um, the idea that this would be, that Kalamata could really live in a lot of different spaces and serve a lot of different functions. There is the central idea of these stories that are attractive to children. They have to love the character in order to go on the adventure. So that's obviously central. But but really, um, you know, she can live in so many in spaces like including going to the market, right? And like making grocery shopping kind of fun. Or when you eat out at a restaurant, like being, again, being present, being aware and, and eating things that you maybe wouldn't have thought of eating before, or, or maybe they're not on a kid's menu and you, you go for it. And, you know, we try and curate a lot of these different activities in regular, in real life. Um, so it doesn't just live at story time in the bedtime or just in the kitchen. Um, yeah. And so, you know, the events, I think, are my, they're just my absolute favorite things that we do. And very sad right now, obviously, we're shut down, we're prevented from traveling and holding these mm. events. Um, we will start them up again as soon as we can. Um, so basically, we we create a food adventure passport for kids. Um, mm-hmm. We hold these events in places like um, in food markets, food halls, um, sometimes in restaurants as well. We will, uh, in the passport, we have um, sort of little bubbles that um, can get stamped when kids try a food from a different vendor. Um, mm-hmm. And so they go around on this little adventure on the market. They get their their passport stamped for trying things. We ask them to try everything twice. Um, they don't have to like it. They just have to try it. Uh, mm. But they, they get their stamp for, for trying. Um, they come back to us. They get a prize if they complete their passports. Um, we talk about all the different things they tasted. You really see kids light up at the prospect of accomplishing something that they just didn't think was like sort of a game at all. Right now mm. it's like, oh, we get a stamp to do something. Oh, also this is kind of tasty. And so they, they start, you really see them start to like enjoy the process, enjoy the adventure. And you also see parents 
their jaws just like sort of dropping because they will swear up and down that their kid will not try this or they hate this or they, they oh my kid will not eat spicy my kid will not eat anything that's not beige and then yeah. you know you look around for their kid and they're the ones in the corner chugging beet juice and they're like how did you do that <laughs> you know and so these events are very fun for for kids and they're really eye-opening for parents um and I think that that part is really important because I think it's really easy for for parents to um, to assume also that their kids like or don't like something or will or won't do something. And when you just kind of put the ball in the kid's court, right? Like give them the autonomy to make that decision for themselves. The results are often really surprising. Um, and so those those events are great in real life. Um, you know, mm. seeing the kids just in, rip their way through a food hall is, is awesome. Yeah. Um, and par- yeah, and again, parents parents love it. They love watching their kids try these things. Um, and you know, they get that spirit of adventure. And then you know, once they have that, we encourage them to keep that up at home. Um, you know, during this time, we created a passport uh, that for for free that parents can download, and they can do um, a sort of little uh, Thomas Kitchen adventure in their own homes. Um, and on that, you have activities like writing a love letter to your favorite restaurants, uh, creating a menu um, for your for a rest your ideal menu. Um, a blind tasting of spices, um, which is my favorite activity. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so fun to watch kids like, you know, we have them actually put on a blindfold and, and see if they can smell these things that are otherwise familiar in, in food, but maybe not so familiar when it's just a component. Um, so those activities are, are so fun. They're so engaging. Um, you know, you really see kids. It's, I think it's a lot of parents are shocked that their kids would be interested in like being able to identify cinnamon versus black pepper. They're like, I mm. just never thought to, I never thought this would be interesting to my kids. So I never, but in here we are. Um, and so that's the events or the, yeah, the events and the passports are so, they're such, I think, helpful tools. Mm. Um, and they're just honestly, just very fun. Uh, the taste bud travel guide is also super fun. It's um, basically we've uh, curated lists in, in cities. Um, we have 15 live right now um, and hopes to, to launch uh, many more this year. Um, you know, all willing. Uh, we yeah, yeah hopefully. Um, and uh, basically, this is a curated list in, in several cities of, of restaurants that per- have great food, great service, great atmosphere. Um, often they're like, you know, James Beard nominated award chefs and, 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 and really great food. But most importantly, they treat children as the VIPs, right? So the child's experience is as important as any other, any adult experience. Um, we shy away from places that have like sort of dumbed down kids menus, right? Like places that um, have like all this great food, but then for some reason we'll have chicken fingers and french fries as Mm -hmm. a separate thing. Um, We sort of shy away from things like that. We're introducing, we're sort of redefining the concept of family friendly. Um, Mm. What what is really, what is a family friendly restaurant? Um, If you are a person who loves food, wants your child to eat well, doesn't feel, doesn't know whether they can take their two or three year old into a restaurant that has all these accolades. We have personally contacted these restaurants and curated these lists of places where they're like, we would love to have families come in here and mm. show them a great time and experience. That, that's so fascinating because I'd never even thought about that until you've just brought it up now that we are kind of forcing kids in a direction when they go out to eat by creating these kids under 12 menus maybe they want the lasagna and they don't want a piece of crumb fish and chips or chicken nuggets and chips or a bit of steak and chips. Um, but we're kind of making them go in that direction and keeping their food experience quite bland um, instead of encouraging them to try different flavours and, and eat what mum and dad are eating, which we know that if mum and dad are modelling good food experiences, then the kids will often follow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when we 
all of our vacation, if we ever took a vacation, it was like the main, I don't even, it doesn't even matter where in the world we were. It would be the main event was always our meal time, right? Mm. So like everything was planned around where we were going to eat. We went out to a restaurant. Um, we all had, we all ordered different things because we all wanted to try each other's food. Like mm. I remember that, that is, that, that kind of experience is so vivid in my memory. And I still do that. Um, I still like have to like try all these things on the menu and, and, you know, exactly to your point, like we, we do sort of put kids in a box when we say, oh, here's all of, here's, here's a menu that has arancini and lasagna and all these exciting things, but you can have fried, you can have these fried chicken strips. Like you mm. had another restaurant that we went to last week that had a completely different adult menu. Um, yeah. I, I just, you know, I can, I can see it. I can see the reasoning why people gravitate towards it, right? It's easy. It's familiar. You know, your kids can eat it, but at the same time, like it's a, to me, it's just a lost opportunity. Um, mm. I don't know a kid in the world that wouldn't eat arancini right it's a fried rice ball with mm. cheese in it delicious like, yeah yeah of course um but you know if you haven't a lot of people haven't been brought up to think that they can introduce their kids it's, it's almost like you know adults need a permission um to be granted for them to be able to like feed their kid off from something other than the kids menu um but it we're comes from, <laughs> yeah and it comes from such a young age because i've done so yeah. much research starting my baby on solids and um way too much it's kind of obsessive um but yeah um but like what i'm realizing is gone are the days where they say introduce really bland foods to babies because um that's what they need when in actual fact it's kind of breaking the mold now and saying no if you want your kids to eat flavors some food you need to introduce it to them from a young age so the other day i made a banana and beetroot chia pudding for her and she, it went everywhere and it was totally messy. And, um, but it was, I can see just for her, it was an experience of touch and it was experience of taste and smell and um, it engaged all of her senses. And it was effectively a play activity because she got to feel it in her hands, in her mouth. She got to smell it. She got to taste it and um, it went everywhere. And she was beaming. She was smiling from ear to ear. And when I've said that to people, they're like, oh, beetroot and banana. Like, she's not going to eat that. I'm like, no, she actually loved it. And I've given her the opportunity to. In the same way that I gave her sardines and avocado and people like, oh, sardines to a baby um, or liver, which you're kind of putting babies in a box from the very beginning by saying, well, no, they're not going to eat, enjoy that. But why not make it an adventure and offer it uh, in the same way restaurants can do that for kids. That it, they may go for the chicken fingers and that's fine, but they, they may go for um, a smoked salmon and broccolini and you've got to give yeah. them that opportunity. Seen it happen. I've seen it happen. And it's, yeah. and they do. And, you know, I, my, um, we had, I mean, we, my parents definitely gave us baby food as well, but like they, my mom basically, she would cook. She didn't, she never made separate food for us really. Mm. And so when we were really little, she said she would, you know, she'd make a, whatever curry she was for masala she was making for my dad. Um, she would just take the same thing, like whatever meat or fish she had, she'd rinse off a, like the, the majority of the really intense spices, mm. but it's, it's still there in the, you know, and she, she'd just shred it in her fingers and feed it to us. And like, <laughs> I, I don't, I obviously don't remember it, right? But like, I have to imagine that being introduced to that just made it so that I never expected something sort of different. And I, from what they were eating, it's like, I always ate the same as them. Mm. Um, and so it was never weird. You know, I was, I never, I don't think I ever ordered off a kid's menu. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't, it wasn't in there. It wasn't like they, what they did for us at home. 
So why would it be that way when we're in a restaurant? Yeah. And I think that's such an interesting concept and one that has incidentally come out of the work that you've been doing. But probably my biggest take home message is that we're not putting kids in these boxes and having kid food that, um, yeah, you want to take them on a journey through all their senses when it comes to mealtimes and allow them to be curious and explore. Um, I think one of my favorite quotes that you've said previously is that the supermarket is like it can be a toy store for kids and um that restaurants can be a a place of exploration and i think that that's something that not too many parents have probably thought of um but one that hopefully sparks some new ideas for parents and i think through this COVID 19 with that um kitchen exploration passport you've given so many wonderful ideas that i would never even thought of um, like writing a letter to your favorite chef or doing blind taste testings. I think when I think of kitchen exploration, it is purely just getting in the kitchen and cooking with your kids, but there's so much more to it, which really sparked that for parents and family. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. And, and it's, you know, cooking is obviously very important to us as well, but and I mean, I mean, every, every, and every book includes a recipe that's inspired by the chef's story that we're sharing. But, you know, we also recognize that, um, cooking with children is hard. <laughs> it's mm. messy. Yeah. Uh, often takes a lot longer than if you just did it yourself. Um, and so really we're just, you know, it's, it's not about, it's not just about meal preparation. It's about the shared experience, the time that you get to spend together. Um, you know, whether it is cooking, whether it's digging through your spice cabinet for something that, you know, you've never seen before, mm. whether it's paying attention for the first time to an open kitchen in a restaurant, um, you know, just finding these opportunities, or, you know, and then also engaging in a conversation around it because you've now seen something that you hadn't noticed before. It's mm. fine. We're more about finding the, the shared opportunities, uh, the shared time, the experiences um, than anything else. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you've gone out and contacted these, you know, Michelin starred restaurants and said, you know what, let's get kids in there. Let's make it a fun experience for families and let's make kids at the center of your um, hospitality and your service yeah. I mean, and because they're the harshest I, critics right so they'll tell you whether yeah, it's good or not they absolutely will and you know what it's it's fun to hear that feedback I have a, a lot of my friends are chefs and they love they love they love the honesty of, of kids and they're often fascinated they're they're fascinated by by children who will eat like want to try stuff and often they'll go above and beyond to like when they when they see that they hear there's a curious kid at table 10 they'll often go above and beyond to like make sure that that joy and that um that sort of interest is is maintained at the table people Mm. chefs and and servers are are hospitality people first right it's Mm. it's it's uh i'm sure a lot of parents feel guilty right like I know this is one of Derek's things is he said he would always feel like sort of nervous like bringing his kid into a restaurant being like oh my gosh are the service staff gonna hate me mm. uh, I'm gonna make sure that I clean up like extra you know do extra to make sure myself less you know imposing or whatever and the fact is you know they're just that ex that that idea that he was aware of that already probably endeared him to service staff more than he could possibly know just from the get-go mm. um, yeah and then he did yeah, and then the additional at the table, like when, when speaking from a service perspective, when we get to see parents interacting with their children at a restaurant and like both being engaged in what they're eating and drinking, it's, it honestly, it just warms your heart and it reminds mm. you why you're in hospitality in the first place. Um, and yeah. uh, it's a great experience for, for the parent, for the kid and for the restaurant, honestly. Yeah. And parents shouldn't feel like they're stuck at home and having to cook every night of the week that they that they can go out and they don't have to go to these kind of generic yeah. um, West, Western type food restaurants where they get served pretty bland food that 
doesn't take them on an adventure or a journey. Um, yeah. or they, and they don't get that open kitchen experience, which I can imagine kids is just incredible because it's not something they see every day. No, it's, it's theater. You know? Yes, exactly. It's like a dance or a, or a ballet or something um, like that. They get to see it in action. And, and like you said, that, that sparks questions. And that's Absolutely. when you can t- take kids on that journey. Well, I'm a big fan. You've got me on board. Um, <laughs> for those listening at home, um, Kalamata's Kitchen for parents, is that only available in the US? Uh, currently, yes. Yeah, okay. We are planning to... Um, our, I mean, you can you can purchase it on Amazon. We're not shipping internationally at the moment, uh, but we will be at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a world of online material, though, that um, yep. even if you can't get the books themselves right now, um, you're able to access all of that on our website, which is Kalamata's Yeah, and we'll link that um, to the podcast so that uh, any families listening at home can jump on there. Uh, I'm assuming that means that then parents can access here in Australia the Kitchen Exploration Passport for their kids Absolutely. at home. And so we're still um, in most states here in Australia, kids aren't back at school. So parents are having to homeschool. Um, So the kitchen exploration passport is a great little home ec um, science type activity for parents to do with their kids in the kitchen. Um, Social media, can we follow you? Yeah. uh, Socials. Yes. I encourage everybody for more um, sort of free, online activities and, and ideas, um, I encourage you to follow our Instagram, especially um, at Kalamata's Kitchen. Um, we're on Facebook as well. But um, one really fun feature of our Instagram is that we feature uh, chefs regularly. We share their stories. We share we share um, stories of um, people that inspire us. Um, and we do that. That's all free content on our social media. So uh, even if you can't engage directly with the books, we do still have a lot of other stories for you to, to interact with. I love that. I'm definitely going to keep a keen eye on that Instagram page. Um, so that wraps up the, the, the content side of the podcast today. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of that information. Um, I think what you're doing is so wonderful and it makes me excited and sparks ideas for me that I can take um, with my little baby girl as she gets older and um, as she moves into next year and becomes, you know, develops her language and, and we can get in the kitchen more together and, and share those experiences. And I'll definitely take her out to some nice fine dining restaurants here in Australia and try and set, set the trend over here. Um, and and try and shift that focus away from having adult-only restaurants and adult-only experiences around food. That's great. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you keep us updated on her progress and all the yes. fun things you guys get up to. Um, yeah. And yeah, thanks thanks again for, for having me. That's okay. And to finish off, um, I do a quick get to know the guest um, just so we can get to know you on a more personal level. Um, so it's five questions, quick fired. You don't have to think about it too much. Just kind of come up with the first response. And these ones are uh, food focused today so we can get to know you and around your food experiences so are you keen to give it a go let's do it all right okay so when we're ready uh chocolate or cheese uh, cheese cheese okay uh if you had one meal or food that you could have every day for the rest of your life what would it be my mom's uh, madras crab curry oh yum uh, what is your must-have ingredient for the kitchen? Must-have, uh, uh, I mean, it's it's spices. It's like, it's not one ingredient. It's just, I need okay. spices. Collective. Okay, spices. I'll okay. give you that one. Um, would you have, would you prefer breakfast for dinner or dinner for breakfast? Dinner for breakfast. Dinner for breakfast. Well, that's an interesting one. I curry? Love dinner for breakfast. I, I have on more than one occasion eaten like chicken curry. For so you go breaking, 
breaking the mold again. And it's something that I've read um, with babies. You don't have to feed them breakfast food at breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And last one, um, which celebrity chef would you love to feature in your book? If you could choose anyone. Jose Andres. He espouses so much of what we love and who he is as a human being is is really what we all aspire to be. So if he's listening out there, get in touch <laughs> he's read it he's he's familiar actually i've met him right uh, ah. he was uh he loved uh chef repair's book they're good friends <laughs> ah there you go so maybe not in the not so distant future yeah fingers <laughs> crossed well sarah thank you so much all the way from new york city it has been an absolute pleasure um good luck and i hope you guys get back on the travel um journey soon so that more kids can get out there and really experience what you have on offer Thank you. It was so lovely to meet you. I'm so happy to be uh, here. Thank you. All the best and have All a great day. Too. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye.